It's Mr. Christopher, the Funkatopia Radio Show, and it is an honor for me to welcome to Funkatopia Live, Mr. Robert Cool Bell is in the house from Cool and the Gang. What's up, brother? How are you? Hey, Christopher, how you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm, I'm just so excited. I mean, so many massive hits. We got I mean, Too Hot and Jungle Boogie and Ladies Night and Celebration, Cherish, Hollywood Swing. And I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, legend in the house. It is an honor to have you here. Well, thanks just, for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you know, I, I kind of want to start a little bit from the beginning because I know we got a limited amount of time with you, but I wanted to, I just had some basic questions. I mean, you guys started in 1964. I put this band together in 1964, which is, which is amazing. I mean, that's, now that's four years before I was born. I, I didn't know. I thought, and for some reason, I don't know, whatever it may have been. I, I knew that you guys had worked together in the seventies, but you guys started in 1964. W what exactly was it the same type of band in 1964 or did you guys progress into some of the new material that, that you guys really hit out with in the seventies? Yeah. Well, we started back in 1964. We started as the uh, Jazzy Axe. And then uh, because of our love for jazz, my brother was into John Coltrane and uh, Dennis D.T. Thomas was into Cannibal Adley. Uh, George Brown, Philly Joe Jones, and myself, Ron Carter. So we called ourselves the Jazzy Acts. And then we got involved in Jersey City with an organization called the Soul Town Review. Now, the Soul Town Review was trying to be like the Motown Review. All right. So we became the backup band for the, for the Soul Town Review. And we have to learn all these Motown songs and et cetera, et cetera. Then we changed the name from uh, Soul Town to Cool and the Flames. Cool now, and the Flames? Cool and the Flames. Hopefully. And needless to say, we didn't want to have any problems with the Godfather, James <laughs> Brown, and the, famous, and the Famous Flames. Yeah. So we thought of many names to call ourselves. We said, well, we'll just uh, call ourselves Cool in the Gang. We got the jazz, we got the funk, et cetera, right. et cetera. And uh, that's when we changed the name to Cooling Gang in 1968. Recorded an album called Cooling Gang, and we came out with our first single in 1969, Cooling the Gang. And that's how it started. We have been Cooling the Gang, and even that Cooling the Gang is over 50 years. Right. Yeah, I was, I was trying to do the math in my head. I'll be 53 this year, so that makes you guys 57 years young <laughs> in the uh, industry. And is there any constant that you've seen in the music industry over the decades? I mean, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of payola and all that different types of things, but is there any constants that you, you see even in today, the way that they handle the music industry? Well, I would say almost the same to some degree because now we have social media we yeah. didn't have that back in the day right now we have streaming and i'm old school you know <laughs> whatever happened to uh the vinyl whatever happened to cds and all that <laughs> so much vinyl that's behind me that's, that's the world cool. i'm from you know but uh, yes there's been uh, that kind of a change you know um, yeah dealing with the, your social media and 
uh, uh, trying to get the, you know, airplay uh, for your live concerts now because it's not uh, any record show like that anymore. So, right. so you're streaming and you're building your name to try to put people in seats. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you guys broke out in 1973 with your Wild and Peaceful album. I know you had an album before that, but the Wild and Peaceful album broke you guys out with uh, Jungle Boogie and, and Hollywood Swinging. Do you remember where you were the first time that you heard your song on the radio? Oh, the first song was back in Jersey City. And that was uh, cool in the <laughs> and, and you do you remember where you were? Were you riding in your car? Or were you sitting walking there? down the street and, uh, you know, back then you had a little transistor radio and, you know, I'm just coming out of high school and saying, ah, oh, wow, that's my record. <laughs> cool in the game. <laughs> That was the first time, of course, you know, many, many years. And, right. you, know, uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, funky stuff, right. Hollywood Swinging, mm -hmm. uh, Jungle Boogie, you know, the Wild and Peaceful album, those were huge songs for us. So, yeah, you could hear a lot of territorial hits uh, coming up, like uh, a Funky Man, Funky Granny, uh, Good Times, uh, Sea of Tranquility. <laughs> but uh, the big, big time period was, um, around uh, 74 with those records you just mentioned yeah you couldn't go anywhere without hearing those songs everywhere that you went i mean everywhere that you went uh, oh, yeah. which, which is obviously fantastic you know one of my favorite movies of all time is pulp fiction ah uh, and, and, and i know that you have to be thinking uh i guess the first thing and i never know how movies work as far as their incorporation of songs and for those that are are uninitiated obviously who have not maybe seen pulp fiction i don't know where you've been on the planet if you have not seen that movie very 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 violent movie but in the intro of it after they do this restaurant scene there's just credits rolling and it's a sound of a radio kind of going from one station to the other and then all of a sudden it breaks in the jungle boogie First off, were you approached uh, directly? Did, I mean, did you were you already aware of how your song was going to be used in this movie? And did you get an opportunity to actually see the movie and experience it? Well, that was the, uh, the record company and uh, our publishers uh, got the song in, in the Pulp Fiction movie. And the other thing was uh, there was a saying uh, around the country, especially in Chicago, that was everything is cool in the game. So in the beginning of the movie, uh, Sam with the Jackson went, hey man, everything's cool in the gang. <laughs> and so I think the record worked for the movie. Oh yeah. Uh, Quentin Tarantino was a cool in the gang fan. And mm -hmm. he, uh, you know, he used uh, Jungle Boogie in that movie. Now speaking about uh, also uh, 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 John Travolta. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, there were several movies, you know, uh, uh, Saturday Night Fever, um, uh, Be Cool. Yep. <laughs> it goes on and on with John Travolta. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's just, it, it really brought back memories. I, I still remember seeing Pulp Fiction at the movie theater, and then that song came on, and it just, the wave of memories and everything just came, just fun. like, oh, my gosh. And I had to break out that album as soon as I got home. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> And then we kind of like fast forward a little bit, I guess, to the latter part of 79 when you guys add James J.T. Taylor to the mix and as your vocalist to the lineup. And at that point, 
not that you guys weren't doing perfectly fine at that point, but once he was added to the mix, I mean, you guys can pretty much do no wrong from like 1979 to 1986. It just seemed like the hits were just one after another. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about that time about bringing him on board and, and, and exactly, you know, and also to kind of fast forward through that, not to bypass his accomplishments, but on the same note, you know, what was the reasoning, you know, why he left the project and, and how you guys have progressed through singers? Well, um, at that time, around the latter part of the 70s, there was this kind of like anti-dance movement going on. You know, yeah. uh, it was burning records in Chicago, Stadium, etc. <laughs> but we were on tour with the Jackson 5. Uh, of course, Michael was still with him. And uh, a guy by the name of Dick Griffey, who owned Soul Out Records, and he was um, also... Uh, promoting the tour. Mm -hmm. So he came to us and said, listen, you know, you guys are doing, you're doing pretty good with the tour, you're doing great. He said, but I, I think you need a lead singer. And so we said, what, lead singer? <laughs> so we thought about it. And then you had the Commodores at Lionel Richie, uh, Maurice White, Philip Bailey, Earth, Wind and Fire. Mm -hmm. So uh, we said, maybe it's time for a lead singer. And that's when we went back to the House of Music and was on to Jersey. And Diodalo happened to be in the studio working on his project. And then the owner of the studio said, hey, I got this guy named uh, James J.T. Taylor. Um, you should try him out, which we did. So he came to the studio and uh, my brother took him to some uh, uh, chord progressing uh, chord change. He said, okay, sing on this, a little funky. Sing on that, that was a little jazzy. Sing on this, that was a little pop. Yeah, you got the job. <laughs> and then, you know, you you remind me of a young Nat King Cole. He said, You <laughs> <He was> swap. <laughs> Maybe that's when we did too hot, you know. Right. <laughs> on, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. That's how we moved on to having a lead singer. And, hey, we made it in the 80s. I was hanging out in, uh, oh, yeah. in uh, New York, my wife and I. And uh, I noticed that uh, in places like uh, uh, Studio 54 and, and Regine's, that every weekend it was a ladies' night. So I said, wow, that's a good idea for a song. So I went back to the guys. I said, I got the, a good song for our lead single uh, with uh, JT. And they said, what? I said, ladies' night. They said, wow. It's one of those everywhere. <laughs> and that's how I started with JT. Frankie Crocker in New York, you both do record. And, uh, and and the ladies, by the way. You know the song about them. Oh, yeah. Didn't too bad with that. <laughs> yep. And you got to be smart about writing those songs. It's something that, you know, that was something that I know that a lot of people did, sometimes subconsciously, sometimes you actually pay attention to it. That was what Prince did all the time. He would always try to figure out what can I name a song that's, that it's a, something that somebody says all the time or is going to experience all the time or, you know, do, you know, and, and so every single time if somebody says, what time is it? They automatically think of Morris Day at the time. Oh, then, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, just, it's smart marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I found it interesting that JT, when JT left the project, I guess he you know had aspirations to do solo work that he was replaced by 
uh, Fire Heat was like replaced by like three singers. I think there was uh, Senny and Gary and Odin, wasn't it? It was uh, it was like three of them that that ended up kind of replacing him. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you're talking about Skip Martin, Simi. Uh, yeah. Maze. And Gary, Gary, uh, so he, uh, he's the one that was singing the song Strong, which was another ballad that Curry's, uh, Curry's right. and our band wrote. Yeah. Yes. So, and, and do you feel yeah. like most fans even, they just want to hear the songs, right? They're, they're not even really too considered about, you know, even if the singer sounds even a little bit close to the original, they just want to hear the songs and kind of see a, a full band do it. Closer yeah. Than possible. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you gotta be a little close to what the sound uh, was about, and then, um, and then, and then you, you stretch out just just a little bit as well, because if you go back, Cooney um, Gang, uh, we started off as a band, so and we didn't uh, add a lead singer until 1979. Mm-hmm. So um, when JT left for. Uh, the reason that he wanted to be a solo artist, we uh, that opened up the door to ask to have more singers because we didn't start off as a singing group. We started off as a band. Our horns was like our singers. We were known for those uh, those funky horn lines that my brother was writing. Yeah. yeah. So that opened up the door, and then after that came uh, uh, Sean McQuilla, uh started singing lead. And the good thing about Sean. He's a guitarist as well as a singer. Right. So when JT left, we uh, we went full circle. Everybody in the band, they sing, but they also they play an instrument. So everything was cool in the gang again. <laughs> and you know, I I was trying to do a little bit of you know looking at some of the history and some of the touring and stuff, and I happened to stumble upon this weird pairing. It was a strange lineup in 2012. And it was cool in the gang opening up for Van Halen <laughs> in 2012. How and why did that happen? We were in London and we were doing the Glastonbury Festival. Okay. That week, you know, you had uh, Coldplay and uh, U2 and a lot of rock groups was on there. Right. So we, we were on that show. Now, David Lee Roth, happened to be uh, seeing, he saw the show on the BBC. So he said, hmm. He calls up uh, uh, Eddie and Alex. Say, hey, I got the perfect uh, act for for us. And they're not an opening act. You know, they're, they're my support act for our tour. And they were doing their uh, 25th anniversary and David Lee Wong was coming back. And they said, well, who? He said, cool in the game. I said, huh? Cool the gang? See what you've been smoking over there, man? <laughs> yeah, he said, cool in the gang. They just rocked this audience here. And uh, I want them to be with us when we do our 25th anniversary tour. And he went on to say, you know, uh, in, the, um, uh, in the 80s, you guys had the song Ladies Night. He said, 60% of my audience are ladies. And then he said, you had the song Celebration. And we had the song Jump. He said, back in the day, out in Hollywood in LA, we used to play a couple of your songs, Jungle Boogie and, uh, and Funky Stuff. I didn't know any of that. So he said, cool, <laughs> let's go out and have a party, man. <laughs> so we did for 48 shows. Oh my gosh. That's, uh, 
Uh, as you probably can see, you know, since we're talking about other fans and stuff, I mean, as you can probably, you might be able to see behind me, huge Prince fan here, obviously, and a lot of our base, because we're a funk site, we have a lot of Prince fans. And I saw that in 1987, Cool and the Gang, uh, and this, I guess James J.T. Taylor was one of your singers, at, was not one of your singers, was your singer at the time. Right. Uh, you had this project where you were giving away free tickets to kids who had like perfect attendance or whatever it was. And you actually did set up all your choreography and stuff at Paisley Park. And that was like really close to when it had just been completed being built. Can you tell me a little story about how that happened? Well, uh, uh, Prince had finished uh, building his, uh, uh, his uh, um, recording studio and also it was a rehearsal hall in there, and uh, we were getting ready to go out on tour, and we needed a place to rehearse the show. And so a contact said, well, Prince will let you hold it for a couple of weeks because he's not ready yet <laughs> to bring his production in. And uh, that's how it happened. So we rehearsed there for two weeks, and uh, you know, uh, we were thankful for that. Now, I learned a little later, Prince was doing an interview and he was saying that one of the first songs I learned how to play was uh, Funky Stuff. He said, that guitar part with, with, with Charles Smith. Yeah. And Prince opened up for us a couple of times when he first came out. What? And I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, we were doing a couple uh, places uh, out in the West Coast. I think it was a theater in the round. And we saw Prince. said, this is an interesting guy. So he did... The sound check, he played the drums, he went back and he did the monitors, and he did the whole nine yards. <laughs> Something about that guy, Prince. Yeah. And of course, the rest is history. Prince became such a big artist, you know? Yeah, I mean, you guys, I mean, I mean, both of you guys were so massive in the 80s. It was just, I, I'm actually surprised that you guys didn't cross paths more often than, than you did. Uh, yeah. I mean, you may have, but it just seems like the 80s, especially that period of time between 80, 80 and 86, you guys were massive just everywhere. So was Prince. And it just seems like there would be a lot of cross-pollination of various, you know, places where you might bump into each other. But that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah so listen, I, I also wanted to first off, we got a couple more things to talk about, obviously. But first off, my my condolences. I know this has been this has been a tough year for you guys for pulling the gang. Uh, with your your brother Ronald passing away uh, last year, and then lately, uh, not too long ago, about a month ago, the saxophonist uh, Dennis D.T. D. Uh, Thomas also passed away. I guess it was the beginning of August, and um, that has got to be that's just got to be tough. I mean, how, you know, I, I know this album is it's brand new. It just got released. Um, how are you feeling? How is the band doing uh, around around that type of like? How, how do you guys handle? Is it just business as usual, or do you get got to just keep moving? Well, well, you know, um, you know, we're, we're hanging in there. Um, yeah. Of course, also during that time was uh, COVID came, and we haven't really played in uh, almost a year and a half, and we started doing shows again. But my brother uh, uh, wrote most of the album. Uh, yeah. Called, Union, right, and also uh, uh, pursue the happiness, the single, right, and um, 
he was influenced by, uh, uh, to some degree, when uh, President Biden uh, was nominated for the presidency, they played celebration. And in his speech, he started talking about the pursuit of happiness and world peace, you know, and perfect union. And my brother said, wow, that's a great idea. So that's when he came up with pursuit of happiness. Wow. And of course, you know, we didn't know he's going to uh, pass uh, a little after that. But we're dedicating this album to him, and it's called For the Pursuit of Happiness, uh, Perfect Union. Yeah, and the album is called Perfect Union. It's your 25th studio album. Congratulations. That's amazing. Um, and yes, I mean, absolutely, with all respect, that that's it, it is a really, really good album. Um, one of the things I was a little bit surprised about was that I mean, there's a lot of party tunes on it still. You have The weekend and, and Leave It on the Dance Floor, etc. Et but there are no slow jams on this album, which I was surprised. A lot of times when you have funk bands and they get to this point in their career, it's like mostly slow to mid-tempo jams. And it's just, it's it's built for us, for us old school folks. But you guys were just like, nope, we're going to keep it. Keep it dance. Keep it all upbeat. Was that a conscious decision? I mean, it seems like it was. Well, pretty much so. We do have one slow jam that didn't quite make the album. It's kind of mid-tempo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, we've tried to find a way to get that record out, you know. Yeah. It's called See-Through. It's See -through. a ballad, and it's, it's something. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to work that out. No, that's, well, I mean, I mean, it, so and what is your favorite track on the album? Uh, you mentioned Pursuit of Happiness a couple of times. I mean, I know that probably brings to mind uh, your, your brother and, and everything, but is that your favorite track on this album? What's what's your go-to? Well, of course, uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, but the uh, second one would be Leave It On The Dance Floor. Yeah, it's a great one. <laughs> that's really, really good. And, and for the Mars better watch out. You thought when you want to play some horn lines? Tell them to check out Leave It On The Dance Floor. <laughs> <laughs> So, and when we do this interview, when I edit this interview and I put it online, I am actually going to be lightly layering the music in the background. And YouTube may say, you can not allowed to do that, but I have your permission to lightly lay it in the background behind behind what we're talking. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> so that way well, I can say, there's no. one more. There's one more. Uh, that? Would be a, probably a good follow-up to Pursuit of Happiness. And that's called Hold On. Yes. Yeah, that's... That's the one, uh, that's the mid-tempo one that's kind of, um, what's well, it's, again, there are no slow jams. There's no, yeah, it's, you're right. it's, it's, everything is just kind of, even, even with some of those, you can still just move on the floor. You don't, there's not, you're not a lot of shuffle, but you know, um, this is your, this is your first album, even though it's your 25th, it's your first album in eight years. And, and I mean, all of you are such incredible songwriters. Is it, was there a reasoning for that, that, eight-year delay was, I mean, obviously we had the pandemic in 2020, so that's a perfect excuse for a lot of the stuff, but was there a reason for such a long delay between these albums? Well, you know, actually been 10 years, but... Um, <laughs> Longer, okay. <laughs> been 10 years, but we, um, well, we were touring a lot, traveling. Uh, uh, my brother was constantly writing, uh, uh, Joyce Brown, uh, you know, we finally got, got around to it. We did do a Christmas album. Yeah, uh, for the first time in our whole career, called Home for the Holidays. Mm -hmm. But other than that, yeah, uh, ten years, and we got we still got a lot of lot of lot of music right now. 
my brother had and stuff that he was writing, George Brown, and you know, so well, we're back out there again. We'll, we'll see what happens, you know, after 20, I mean, 25 albums. <laughs> I mean, you guys have so much history, so much history. I heard a rumor, and correct me if I'm wrong, let me know if this rumor is correct. I heard a rumor that there is a documentary or a movie or are both being worked on right now for Cool and the Gang? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're working on a documentary. Uh, we're working on a uh, uh, we're working on the movie. Uh, uh, the working title that I have for it is uh, Hollywood Swinging. Yeah, Cool the Gang story. Yeah. Number one with a bullet. <laughs> Billboard charts now. There's something else behind there, behind the scenes that you'll learn about when the movie comes out. Okay, <laughs> I will absolutely positively be watching for it. I mean, you guys have, you guys all, with all due respect, you have numerous awards. I mean, between, uh, I mean, you have two Grammy, I mean, multiple Grammy awards. I think there's like two Grammy awards, seven wow. American Music Awards, and uh, you were inducted to the New Jersey Hall of Fame, uh, Soul Train Legend Award, right. a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So. Have you guys been approached or considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I mean, I, I kind of feel like, I, I feel like it's just, I mean, if Biggie and Tupac and Jay-Z are in there, I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> you know what? Doesn't make any sense to me either. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't uh, get it. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, we had songs like Misled, Emergency, uh, of course, The Ultimate Celebration. And, right. Uh, uh, you know, so maybe 2022, they will know what to do and put us in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There, there should be there. no reason. There's no reason why you guys shouldn't be in there. None at all. I mean, it, a lot of your peers are in there. I know Earth, Wind, and Fire's in there. I know Sheik is in there with Nile yeah. Rodgers. I, I know all those guys are in there. There's no reason why you guys shouldn't be in there. I, I mean, if I had a vote, I absolutely would pull for you. There's no, it's it's a travesty in my house. But I mean, it's just, you know. Well, hopefully uh, uh, next year, we'll finally make it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, well, I am I am hoping and praying for you guys. I, I hope so. I hope so. I noticed your poster that's behind you on your left uh, huh. for the champagne that you guys have. Uh, you guys started a new champagne. Tell me a little bit about that. I know you guys are working with uh, Maison uh, Paul Berthelay, uh, who I guess worked with, it was a Grand Crew, I think it is. But um, tell me a little bit about this champagne that you guys have coming out. What I mean, it's already out now. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. What, why did you decide to do that? Well, it, it, it started about maybe about three years ago. Uh, we were touring uh, in France. Mm -hmm. We had about 20 shows. So the, uh, the promoter came up to me and said, listen, I'm, I'm doing the uh, champagne on the Lake Berry White. And, yeah, at that time, we had a very white lookalike and one of the BGs. And uh, we had 20 shows. And he and they asked what he asked me, well, what do you think about doing a champagne uh, at your concerts? And I said, well, I don't know if my fans want to buy a bottle of champagne when they come to see Cool the Gang. Uh, they want cap, t-shirts, and all that kind of stuff. But I said, well, I would like to do and be. I want to get on the shelves. And so he looked at me. He said, oh, you want to get on the shelves? I said, yeah, I want to get on the shelves. 
so I've been in contact up uh, in, in Rim, Champagne Country, uh, with the, the Birchville family, uh, Paul Birchville. And that's where, you know, they make the Dom Perignon and the Dom Perignon. Uh, and I came up with this idea and concept called Le Coup Champagne. Because I wanted it, to, wanted it to come from France, from Europe, you know, Champagne Country. Right. That's why I, I named it Le Coup Champagne. And then we worked it in. Uh, it's like yeah, Le Coup coming to America. So I got immersed huh? <laughs> Now my champagne have arrived. And uh, then we, we got backed up a little bit with COVID. But we, you know, we're still doing our thing, you know. And uh, like in the summertime, you know, if it gets too hot for you, have your nice cold glass of Le Coup Champagne and celebrate. <laughs> Good time. Come on. <laughs> 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 so that's good. I'm having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I just I I think uh I think you had you had a bottle. Somebody showed showed me a bottle of it. Uh, but it's like e even the the packaging is really slick and uh, just, yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. So if you guys are interested in uh, their champagne, it's Le Cool Champagne L E space K O O L obviously champagne. And um, and obviously, if you want to find out more information about their brand new album, Perfect Union, you can obviously go to Spotify, but I would much rather you head to a record store and actually pick it up so that they can make more than 0. 0.0001 cent per play. Uh, it would be much, much better if you actually pick it up and uh, at CDs and whatever. But man, it has been an honor having you on, Mr. Bell. I don't, I can't even... I mean, I was I was raised on you. I, mean, I was listening to your music when I was a kid, and I just can't. It's it's just an honor to be sitting here talking to you. It really, really is. Well, thank you. And uh, I got a little saying, saying I should say, I've been saying uh, on these shows that we are doing, and it goes like this: Hey, 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 what you got to say? COVID, go away, because we want to play. We want to see the happy faces again around the world, coming to your town soon. Yeah, baby. 